And we've also selected a young person for our Friday profile today. There's lots more to look forward to in this hour. Now, you may have seen reports that the South African Mint has unveiled its new circulation uh, coins, which uh, celebrate 25 years of a constitutional democracy. Uh, The new two-rand coin, for instance, aims to highlight some of the rights that resonated um, the most with citizens that were surveyed in South Africa, depicting children's rights, the right to education and environmental rights, amongst others, the right to uh, freedom. Um, And then there's also so the five rand coin, which depicts the first national elections in two, in uh, 1994. So they launched an official website. If you want to take a closer look at all of these coins under the banner SA25, and it gives all the details of the coins, the collections that are up for sale, as well as information about the artists and the meaning behind this campaign and the work that they have created. So the coins, oh, go to SA25, by the way, SA25. And the coins themselves, um, will be released into circulation after the the, the uh, South African uh, Reserve Bank and the SA Mint uh, officially presented the coins at Constitution Hill this month. And they were joined by some of these young artists. So it is to commemorate the 25 years of democracy. So one of the artists um, who designed these coins, the five rand coin particularly, is visual artist um, uh, Lady Scully, or I should rather refer to her by her real name. That's Laura Vinfochel, a.k.a. Lady Scully. She joins us this afternoon as our Friday Profile. She is an absolutely accomplished young artist. Um, she's part of a generation, that I, I believe, of women who are just unapologetic. They are seen, heard and felt in their presence, in their determination, in their contribution and their works. Her work is very strong on tackling social and political issues. Um, she, uh, she explores gender roles and sexuality and some of the tensions that exist in our society. Um, and she never shies away from tackling the taboo and expressing what some may see as a taboo. She has a very defiant and rebellious energy to her. Um, and you, you sense this in the commentary of her work, uh, and in her nature. And I think that's part of what makes her just so attractive. Um, she's exhibited all over the world over, the, the the past couple of years since the start of her career, since uh, really pushing her her own career and herself as a business. So Laura joins us now on the line. Good afternoon. How are you? Hi, Azania, and hi to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking forward to seeing you because you're always a sight for sore eyes. Are you well? I know. I'm so sorry that I wasn't able to make it today. Um, no, no, I'm totally good. I'm a little bit tired, but only for good reasons. Because, I mean, I made a coin, made money for my country. <laughs> I made money for... Yeah, it puts a different meaning to that phrase completely. Exactly. Yeah, so how does it feel? Do you, Tell us about the selection process. Um, it's, it's very unreal. It's so quite unreal for me. I think um, yesterday I was telling people at my gallery at Everard Reads. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, the funny thing is when I tell people that I made a coin... It takes them like a statistic of like three times. I have to say three times before it really sinks in. Yeah. And I think that's really how it was for me as well. Like I've been part of this um, process since September already. Mm. The selection process and then um, the kind of like narrowing down of the imagery process. So it's been quite a few months, but it only really became a reality to me, I think, maybe in March or so. Yeah. And the selection process was quite... um, it was quite different, but I knew there were other people also chosen. I wasn't sure whether I would see them again. Mm. I, I said it before, but it was kind of like 
you know Willy Wonka <laughs> when you go to the chocolate factory? Yeah. That was kind of us, like at the at the South African Mint, you know, doing tours and looking at all the different machines and they explaining to us about the focus groups they did um, mm. to narrow down all the different elements of the constitution and what was most um, visually appealing to um, the people in the focus groups who were yeah. mostly born freeze. And so, um, yeah, one by one, I think we got a bit less, a bit less. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it was me and five other artists, or sorry, six other artists, I think. Yeah. Um, including Neil Matlangu that did the two two runs. Yes. And, yes. Um, and to me, it was just, Firstly, it was a it was an honor not only because I'm a woman and I'm a woman of color in South Africa, but I think also because it's the first time they've ever opened this kind of process mm-hmm. to the public mm-hmm. and to people who aren't um, really accustomed to doing things like they're not doing fine arts; they're doing like uh, more architectural or yes. graphic design kind of elements. And so I think it's it's an honor because I think I've always tried to cut out the middleman, especially where my artistic practice. Yes. Um, yeah, which, where, where I'm talking about my artistic practice, I've always tried to cut the middleman out. Yes, I know, which is why I found one. it uh, interesting <laughs> when you were referring to 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 Everard Reed because yeah, um, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, you knew that, but you've always, uh, for, for, when I speak to you, you always say that the game is about it, the business of galleries, um, is yeah. moving, it's changing, and even galleries have to yeah. confront that fact. You did, uh, you studied business and you see yourself as a business and you use social media as a means mm. of connecting and reaching your audience. So, uh, that third, that, that middleman that is the gallery, uh, just yeah. is done away with now. Well, I think sometimes there's, there's good middlemen and then there's irritating middlemen and then there's oppressive trying to take advantage of you middlemen. Mm. And for me, for two years, I was independent as an artist. Um, I had studied fine arts for a few years and then I did a business acumen kind of course, which is called business acumen for artists, you know, <laughs> because it's very hard for us sometimes to represent ourselves yes. um, within the industry that we're in. Um, but I've always thought that knowing something well is one of the best ways to conquer it. Mm, mm. And so I've always wanted to understand how galleries work. And I worked in a gallery for about two years as well. And that, in that way, I feel like when I signed with a gallery, I did it being very well informed and being well informed about how I wanted my art represented. And so it's the first time I've ever been represented in South Africa. And I don't think people know that. I've never been represented here at all, yeah. only in Europe and in London. Yes, you go um, along with exhibitions. If you want to exhibit there, there's an agreement and it's temporary. It's not a, yeah. Yeah, a long-term yeah. But thing. But I think artists, we, we, have the, we have the strong hand now. And so we should also, we should also get on the fact that um, we don't necessarily have to be represented in ways we don't want to be represented. Mm. We have the calling card now. Mm. And so, yeah, it's a good time for art. Yeah, it is a good time for the artist. But let's talk about you, what you drew inspiration from. I love that you drew inspiration from um, uh, Khoisan rock paintings. Um, yes, and yes. this isn't the first time we see these motifs in your work. Um, and even yeah, just yeah. the meaning uh, that, that that's attached to your interpretation or your imagining of the five rand coin, I thought was absolutely powerful. Mm. Yes, you draw from the interpretation of, uh, or, or rather uh, the translation uh, for the yeah. purposes of the anthem but just talk to me about what it is you're telling us with how you designed this five rand coin because there's double meaning in waiting sure. for a better life you know as you yeah. and the queue yeah. and then which ushered in, in democracy in a queue. yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Because I think the queue is a is a very South African representative occurrence. Like whether whether it's a, a serious thing, like when our grandparents and our parents are standing in a queue to vote for the first time mm. and to make a change for the very first time, um, or if it's you're just standing at flipping home affairs and you cannot understand why this is offline again, you know? Mm. I think it's a it's a humorful um, representation of South Africa. It's a heavy representation of South Africa. And it's also a really realistic one. Um, I threw in the cave drawing kind of elements into it because of my own identity politics yeah. as someone who is so-called colored or of koi descent or of sun descent of who knows what descent I'm from really, you know. Mm. Being, being colored is a very um, complex way of being and a very confusing way of being. And I think it's also um, represented by uh, nipping in the bud. Mm. So it's, it's often, and it's also represented by not really knowing specifically where you're from or mm-hmm. how you came to be here. And so I think that in our modern era, it might be hard to now having to do all our little DNA things, which I'm also quite weirded out by. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's cool to just draw together and to understand that maybe in our diversity is what unifies us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really wanted to show on the line. Yes. And I've said it before, but the SA Mint, they're very particular about things like representing a specific creed or a specific race or a specific people within their coins because mm-hmm. they wanted to be universal representative yeah, of all South Africans. Yeah. But I think that um, so-called coloredness is a very marginalized way of being here. And I'm very proud that I was able to be allowed to represent it, whether it's in a small form like a coin. Mm-hmm. It's still 10 million units that will be going out to people and 10 million reminders that... We are from a very complex and complicated and confusing space. But no, absolutely. Which is to one thing. And I think when it comes to what that's one of the looking at the kind of issues you tackle through your work, and then looking at what you studied. You have a degree in the history of art, and then Dutch literature. You do yeah, often refer. You often refer to to literature, um, whether through your exhibitions or in telling the story mm-hmm. of your works. Um, and I want to yeah. know from you which books are most important or have been most impactful to you. But before sure. we get there, there is also um, this tension in uh, your identity or in the coloured identity that you explore through your own story, I should say, because mm. there you are, uh, 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 Dutch literature. You also reflect on assimilation that happened to many of us as well when we went to... Yeah. Yeah. former Model C schools um, and yeah. this the space that you always have to negotiate. Mm. Well, negotiate and assimilate. Mm. And, it, and it kind of goes through phases. For me, it was interesting because um, I think after 94, one of the main things that a lot of black parents did was we were able to send our children to schools that we wanted to send them to. But at the cost of not always um, having others to look towards, you know? Yeah. Maybe you one of two black people in the school and you're like, oh my God, this is so messed up, you know? Um, and so I think in terms of assimilation, I've always found it interesting because um, as black people, we are able to uh, adapt and change and have to deal. And that's what slavery is. That's what colonialism is. It's about having to deal with a hand you've got dealt that sucks and that you don't want to be in. And we've adapted all these different ways in making that easier or making the trauma less. And I think that um, in terms of tying up with the literature that I'm really um, inspired by mm-hmm. is that there's a book called Adam, it's a book by Adam Small, who's a very famous colored writer um, from the early 60s, late 50s. And he wrote a book, Kana Aiko Aistu, which is about a mother 
a colored mother who adopts a child and, you know, wants to give him a better life. And he moved, eventually, because of all her sacrifices, he moves away to London and he lives there and he starts speaking differently. And she always tells the people in her area and her community, she's like, Kana, he's going to come home. You know, Kana, Kana is to come. Kana is to come. And he never goes home. And so I think to me, I've, I've always been interested in that state of being, mm. in, in the sacrifice that then pulls you away from what you fundamentally are. Yes, and so you're forever that, displaced um, in a way with the, no, with the belonging, almost yeah. uh, it's a source of discomfort. There's discomfort. You ask, yeah. where do you belong? Yeah, which is not, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing. I think in years to come, we'll really think about the psychological effects of right. that kind of displacement. Um, but I also find it um, incredibly empowering too mm-hmm. to be a product of <laughs> to be a product of such large sacrifices. And then if you finally find your way back, um, I'm interested in that energy. Absolutely. So let's go back a yeah. little bit because uh, the first time I encountered your work, I did find it really bold. And I remember meeting you for the first time and saying to you, <clears throat> "There's a piece that you did where you have interpreted vaginas, and they're all over the canvas. You know, this interpretation yeah. of vaginas all over You're the canvas." You're gonna have to be more specific, Azania. I love. Um Vaginas all over Canada. <laughs> so which, which one are you? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is from the Hot and Tot Venus, which was dedicated to Sarki Batman. But and I remember oh, saying to you, can this please be turned into a wallpaper? I'd love to have this like uh, in my guest toilet, like everywhere. Constantly asking me for wallpapers, and yes. I'm like, sure. Do you know how expensive making a wallpaper is? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, that was Sarah Batman. I mean. Uh, Penny Siopas once told me, you know, she loves that I represent mm. um, not only one story, because there's so many stories like Sarah Bartman's yes, story. Yes, but yes. obviously hers is, is the most um, the most obvious, the most popular. And I even um, referenced it again for my new show, which is called Good and Evil at mm-hmm. Circle Gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her, her story of displacement, her story of being made a freak, um, we see it often... Uh, mirrored over and over and over in society. And so I think the funny thing about being black or about being a product of colonialism is that whether we think it's done or not, we see new versions of these things appear every day. Exactly, which is... It's a mania thing. Yes, which is why uh, when you talk that that work, even though it was inspired by Sarki, uh, today you can even observe with how we, the way we objectify the female form. Yes, maybe it's not... And also over-sexualized. Not even just objectified. I think Mm. that black women are mostly over-sexualized. It's not that we are, you know, out there and doing all these things. It's just that... Um, our bodies naked seems to be more naked than another body naked. Yeah. yeah. Or, do you know what I mean? And so it's, it's quite interesting to me. Even in my own time, I've had these weird experiences. One time I was booked to be in an ad and I had to jump into a pool 27 times and then swim to the camera that was, that was at the bottom of the pool, you know, over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So I was almost dead. And then when I came out, they said, oh, well, you know, they've actually, they've actually edited all my stuff out because my breasts are just like too much. Mm. And then they put a white girl in the same outfit and they did the exact same thing and it was fine. Mm. And so I think that every day we are faced with these things where it's a product of colonialism. It's a product of a way of thinking. And but so then there's this in tension. my work I try to change that. Yeah, but there's this tension that at the same, we, we live in a country that is just riddled with gender-based violence. Every single yeah. day you have to contend with some level of uh, fear for yourself. Yeah, mm. much. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I make a lot of work about gender-based violence. I make a lot of work about the fruitlessness of things like lighting candles and putting little ribbons on your lapel. Mm. And I, I do this thing where I talk honestly about like taking your own back, you know, um, and that's also not a good thing. <laughs> like revenge is not the key. Um, but often in a place like South Africa, you feel so helpless that you assume that mm. violence begets violence. No, so and let's so talk I about that I, a little bit because there are parts mm. of the bodies of work that you've done which are darker than others, you know, like with fire, fire with fire. Um, so yes. do you have to go into a dark place to create them or do you create them when you are in a dark place? I think that fire with fire... Um, which was in 2017 for Jabok It was yeah. a, a it was a body of work that really actually uh, broke me, and I think it's because I underestimated how much darkness I could actually take and listen to and observe. And I think that people that are social workers, people that are activists within this country, people really trying to make a change um, for children, even our mutual friend, Tukuzani, with um, Tetelelo and all of that. Mm-hmm. Often I'm, I'm astounded by how people can see so much darkness and so much violence against um, the most vulnerable people in our society and still be able to smile at the end of the day. After Fire with Fire, I literally took seven months off. Mm. And I mean, I was only making little crayon drawings. So I don't even know how people who are out in the field actually having to be seeing all of this evil every day, how they survive. Yes. And I mean, there's South one Africa, where you have a, a vagina on fire um, and men, yeah. figures uh, depicted as men, of course. They're warming themselves by the fire. Around it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I think um, it's just a, a really, being a woman in this country is a really mm. um, scary thing to be. It's a really, it makes you feel like you're just waiting in a waiting room for something to happen. And so I've, I've always wanted to, I don't know, I've always made, made one, women want to feel a bit fearless, made them want to feel um, that they have the right to say certain things, that they have the right to address certain things. Because I think in South Africa, mostly we have a lot of unaddressed trauma. Yeah. And so that's part of the, of the festering and of the sore and of the hole that's um, happening here. Because so much trauma just goes unaddressed. Absolutely. But let's, <clears> I want to <throat> conclude by looking at another part of your life, or your, a bit of your yeah. personal life and upbringing. Um, because it's Father's Day on Sunday. Tell me about your dad. You posted a picture of you and him, which was just the cutest <laughs> thing. Two pictures that were clearly taken in uh, uh, close, uh, one after the other or so, um, or, yeah. or around the same time, the, around the same moment. And your, yeah. your caption was that the first trickster god... A Loki yeah. shapeshifter, and then of course you mention his name. I thought, what a description! Yeah. He must have been quite so a character. <laughs> My father to me has always been. Oh, it's only gonna make me emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my father's always been quite a, a inspirational and funny um, element in my life, just because he's he's really funny, but he's really open and he's really like weird. I think, and, he, and he's also like a amateur photographer. Mm-hmm. And I always tell the story, but he, so my father would, he's a divorce, he was a divorce lawyer. So he would do all of his friends' um, photography for their weddings. And then a few months or a year later, he would then do the divorce, you know? And so to me, always that kind of like ambivalence within things like love, within things like marriage, within things like violence, 
was always funny to me because you'd always find humor within very, very sad things. Your work sometimes that, has humor. I feel like, is that where perhaps... Not sometimes, done? all the time. <laughs> you all have a lot time. of humor. Well, not all of it. You do have to get serious about what you create and feel. Yeah, the but at the same time, at the same time, South Africans love laughing when they should be crying. Yeah. And so I think I've always um, seen that. Um, and I've always seen how people hate to preach. But they love laughing until they cry. Mm-hmm. And I want my work to be kind of like that rotting, you know, that flower that draws in flies? Yes. And so you come close to it and then it's a beautiful flower. And when you're very, very close to it, you smell the rot. That's kind of what I want my work to represent. Mm-hmm. It's something that draws you in with its beauty. And then at the end, when you realize what it's about, it freaks you out. Mm-hmm. I've had people hysterically laugh or they cry, those types of things when they see works. And so, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. When you dad. go with it, when you go with it, and then you realize that oh my good, wait, you know, it's not just yeah. this beautiful canvas. It's challenging me. There's a little, there's a discomfort, and you have to lift the veil and look beyond and see what the rot actually is, and it'll shock you. Yeah, uh, but I think and that is South Africa. That it's, is South Africa. My mother says, "Boy, blank on the stunk." So, that thing of like knowing that there's rot and then underneath. just carrying on. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's been lovely to catch up with you. Um, so Circa, Good and uh, Evil. Is it still on? Yes. I thought uh, it's, yes, it's, it's still, still on until, until July, the 6th of July. Until the 6th of July. Yes. And I'm also doing a walkabout there tomorrow at 1130. If oh. anyone wants to come over, mm-hmm. it's number two, Jellico Avenue. Fantastic. Fantastic. Laura, thank you so much. Enjoy Father's Day, enjoy Youth Day, uh, enjoy the rest of the exhibition. Thank you so much, and thanks to the listeners. Thank you. That's Laura Vindfogel, and you'll also come across her work under her pseudonym, Lady Scully. She is just an amazing personality, an amazing character to be around, like I was describing earlier. I just always love her captions beneath uh, what she puts on, on Instagram. There was one way she was thanking God that as an artist, she gets to do her work, you know, and not scrounge around for equipment and uh, the, the things that she needs to do her work. And then she says, thank you, God, for all of this. And God, you know, this isn't uh, even the final form. Ekran Helen Narmak. I just love that. I was like, that's Lady Scully for you. That is Lady Scully for, for you. Um, and so her work is currently up. Good and Evil is the exhibition that's currently up at Circa. And it's courtesy of Everard Reed. And that is 2 Jellicoe Avenue in Rose.